What's up, everyone? We are back with our third episode of the Party Akron Kids Cleveland Sports Podcast. My name is Brandon. Alongside my co-host, Mark, we got a great show for you today. We're going to be doing our first Browns free agency spotlight. We're going to be recapping some of the Cavs' latest moves, talking some Indians, and finally we're going to get into some Buckeyes. So without any further ado, let's get it on! Alright, we're going to start this episode with some Cavs talk. We're going to get into the trade they made before the deadline, and we're also going to talk about some of the guys and the draft picks that we brought in from that trade and a couple of trades that happened uh, just before. So, Mark, what do we got? So for the trade deadline, uh, the Cavs made one final move. The Cavaliers received Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris, a 2019 protected first-round pick from the Rockets, and a 2022 second-rounder from the Rockets. The Rockets received Iman Shumpert, as well as Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin. And the Kings received Alec Burks in a 2021 second rounder from the Cavs, which was originally owned by the Milwaukee Bucks. So first, let's start off with what the Rockets are bringing in. Um, obviously, in Cleveland, we're very familiar with uh, Mon Chumpert. Yep, good 3 and D guy. Yeah, he's he's going to be a decent piece for them. He's not going to put them over the top or anything. Obviously, they're one of the contending teams. Um, Nick Scout, Nick Stauskas, and Wade Baldwin. Uh, we brought them in with a trade, you know, recently, and they've they've just been kind of moved around a bunch of different places. I think prior, I don't are are they sticking in they, they, with the Rockets? Uh, no, or? they got traded to the Indiana Pacers shortly after uh, that trade. I believe it was the next day on the actual trade deadline. Yeah, so they got ended up getting moved again. And then they got waived by the Pacers, so they are both now free agents. Yeah. Now the Kings uh, receive Alec Burks. That was from the Cavs as well. Um, they also brought in a 2021 second rounder. Pretty much the only thing there is Alec Burks. He's he's a good player. The Cavs had him for a very short time, and they got ended up getting a lot out of him, which was good for the Cavs. What was your thoughts on what the the Kings brought in? So I I like Al Burks. He's a nice young player. He's also on an expiring deal, which is nice for the Kings if it doesn't work out with them. However, I really like the Rockets picking up Amon Shumpert. He was uh, kind of the leader in Sacramento. Really kind of brought the young guys together. Uh, I was a little shocked that the Kings got rid of Shumpert. I think uh, Shumpert fits pretty ideally with the Rockets being a three and D guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, he doesn't need to have the ball to make an impact, especially with uh, Harden and James Paul on the team. So I, I really like it for the Rockets and the Rockets made a series of moves other than this one to get below the luxury tax, which I think is uh, mm-hmm. really, really nice for them. So uh, yeah, I, I really like how the Cavs came about with this. Uh, Brandon Knight 
did not play at all last year due to a knee injury. Yeah. Uh, but he actually is in the game tonight against the Indiana Pacers for some action. He had six points in the first half. Uh, Marquise Chris, nice athletic young guy, can shoot outside a little bit. He's only 21, but he has some ex- uh, starting experience with the Suns. He started uh, for the two first years while he was there. He started, I believe, 75 games and then 40, 49. Uh, one problem with Chris, though, even though he was starting all those games, he only averaged 21 and a half minutes per game in yeah. both of those seasons. So it's interesting. He's an interesting case. He requested for this trade to go uh, get out of the Rockets to find some playing time. And yeah. with how many players the Cavs have in that front court between Love, uh, Thompson, Nance, Chris, yeah, they got a I lot mean, of they a lot of big got guys. a lot of big guys. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to give him minutes. I, I hope so. It, it seems like he has some potential, and hopefully he finds his role. And if not, not a big deal. He's a free agent after the season, and we, I mean, the big winners were definitely the uh, draft picks we got from them. Yeah, the Cavs brought in a. 2019 lottery protected first rounder from the Rockets and then also a 2022 second rounder from the Rockets. And those are definitely very, very good assets for us moving forward. The 2019 first rounder, the Rockets are a good team. So there's a good chance it's, we're going to get it, but it's also not going to end up being, you know, really high pick, but, even so, it, it's still a good pickup for us, I believe. Yeah, unfortunately, the draft class this year is supposed to be pretty weak. However, you see in all years uh, in the NBA draft class, you can find some diamonds in the rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon was a late-round draft pick. Kyle Kuzma, Rudy Gobert. So there's a lot of guys you can get in the late first, early second round that can definitely make an impact. And with how little talent the Cavs have, they need as many assets and young guys as they can get. So, oh, and those can also be really good trade pieces too. Whether it's trading, you know, up in a draft, you know, packaging a player or in that pick to get up a little higher. If you know, you know, you see a player you like still available at around the you know mid part of the draft, yeah, and absolutely. even for other players. So that has a lot of potential to be a lot. Yeah, definitely, and. Unfortunately, I don't think the Cavs are going to be a prime spot for free agents. So if you continue to add assets, those are good pieces to make trades with. So if we do want to have to get an all-star type of player, we're going to more than likely have to trade for them. So those assets definitely help that. So before we move on to the Cavs' upcoming schedule, I just wanted to do a complete recap of everything that the Cavs sent out and brought in. Um, not only just at the trade deadline deals, but a couple, you know, weeks I think before they they were making moves before the trade deadline. So we brought in uh, two first round picks, uh, 2019 from Houston and 2021 from Milwaukee. We brought in five total second round picks. Um, those are a couple different years, a couple different teams. We don't really need to go into the details of that. Uh, we brought in four players: John Henson. Delhi, we brought Delhi back. Cleveland loves it. I Deli love it. Trey. Yeah, every, everybody loves Delhi. So that that was a good good move for the fans of Cleveland. Uh, Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, as we just previously talked about, and then we shipped out Kyle Korver, 
George Hill, Rodney Hood, Sam Decker, and Alec Burks, who brought us a nice little surprising haul that we did not expect him to bring in. So yeah. thank you to Alec Burks. I think Kobe Altman definitely did a good job with all of that from what he had and the situation we were in. I think he did as good as he could have. Yeah. Now let's get into the upcoming schedule here. Uh, Mark, what do we got? Yeah, so on the 11th, which is uh, this Monday, the day the podcast drops, the Cavs will be taking on the Knicks at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two days later on Wednesday, they'll be taking on the Brooklyn Nets at home. And then we hit the All-Star break. Fun. There's there's absolutely no tampering going on there, right? Uh, During the All-Star weekend? Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, check out LeBron's draft and see how many guys are free agents after oh, the year. Yeah, and... that, yeah, that that's kind of what I was hinting to. Yeah, is well, he. Well, here's the thing: is everybody's like, "Oh, he just picked all the free agents," but he also really picked like the best players. Like it kind of like fell that way. Like the best player available just so happened to also be a free agent. So he he's got a stacked team. Uh, team Giannis has no shot. There, it's going to be probably a blowout. I'm going to go the other way. I think Giannis's team is going to – they have a bunch of younger guys, a couple first-year guys. Mm. I think they're going to really try, whereas LeBron's team is more guys who – him and D-Wade might just kind of hang out, chill out, not really care. I think the young guys on Giannis's team is going to take it. So, all right. We've got a, got a little competition going here. Go. Can't wait to uh, prove you wrong. Well, I guess we'll see you next episode. Yeah. on third down. Baker's got the snap. He's up in the pocket. He's looking left. Down the field. Firing. He's going for Landry. Down by the end zone. A tumbling catch for a touchdown. He's in the 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown. Shabalabahub. See, being a Cleveland Brown is way more than just playing football. It's about being an elf. All right, it's time to jump into the Cleveland Browns. We are going to start off the Browns segment with our draft prospects of the week. This week, we are diving into the trenches. We uh, each have a prospect. Mark is going to cover a defensive tackle. I will be covering an offensive tackle. So, Mark, who are you looking at? So probably one of not only the more uh, controversial athletes as well from the draft. It's also one of the better prospects. It's a gentleman named Jeffrey Simmons. He's a defensive tackle from Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. He was a five-star prospect coming out of high school. He's a big boy, six foot three, three hundred five pounds. He's only twenty-one years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, stat-wise, he he. Uh, was a junior coming out early, put up 63 tackles. He had 18 tackles for loss. He only had two sacks, but that was, tackles for loss is definitely a big number. Uh, he also had four pat-downs at the line of scrimmage. As a sophomore, he had 60 tackles, 10 tackles for loss. Uh, his sacks were actually a little bit more as a sophomore. He had four sacks, and he also caused two forced fumbles. Uh, some positives from him. He has a really good burst off the line of scrimmage. He pretty much gets right off the snap of the ball very quickly uh, for a guy that big. That's a great sign. Uh, he's very athletic for being a big boy like that. Moves really well. 
physical force in there. Yeah, he also plays with a really high motor, uh, which is great because you know oh, we've yeah. seen Ogan Joby and Miles Garrett play a lot of snaps, and Simmons seems like he can match them in the terms of durability. Especially being like in the trenches, you have to be a fighter. You oh, gotta, yeah. you gotta keep chopping the feet and keep going. So absolutely, that fight is definitely good. Absolutely, yeah, and he's very athletic for his size as well, and he uses his hands pretty well, shedding blocks and getting into the middle of the offensive lineman's chest. A uh, couple of his negatives, uh, he's an okay tackler when he wants to be. He just really needs to improve on finishing his tackles. Being that big, that athletic, that quick, that strong, there's it's no excuse for not finishing tackles. And that's so that's kinda, definitely something I want him to improve on. Yeah, and that's was kind of a problem for the Browns this year and something oh, they're, yeah. they're really looking to improve on and led make the league, a change. Led the league in most missed tackles this year, so that's definitely something they need to address. Exactly. Uh, he also needs to work on a couple counter moves. A lot of times when he he would only have one move, and that would be the only move he had, really needs to work on having a double move in there or just a second move if your first one doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And then finally, leverage. A lot of times he gets too high. He needs to keep his uh, pad level down and really focus on being the low man. The low man wins a lot in the trenches, especially at the pro level. Yeah. So the big elephant in the room with Simmons, uh, back in high school in 2016, he pled no contest to a simple assault and malicious mischief. Uh, he actually struck a woman multiple times. It is definitely something that's unforgivable. Yeah. Uh, ho- hopefully he's learned from it. And, uh, by all accounts, it seems like he has. Uh, he's been considered a model student at Mississippi State. He has a 3.0 GPA in human development and family science. Uh, he was on the honor roll, honor roll multiple times. He does a lot of in the community around Mississippi State. So hopefully this is just a one-time deal. Uh, pure football standpoint-wise, I think he'd be a great fit with us. Okay. But John Dorsey is also known for taking chances on guys who you know, have a pretty spotty past. Tyree Kill, oh, Kareem Hunt, yeah. so uh, Antonio Callaway. So if he does his homework he feels that simmons is not going to do something like this again then yeah trust dorsey here so we'll see i i I would like him at the 17 spot but i definitely understand why not only would people be hesitant on it but not like the pick as well for my draft prospect i wanted to address one of the biggest needs for the browns i'm looking at offensive tackle jonah williams from alabama Coming out of high school, he was uh, nationally one of the top three offensive tackles. He was ranked the number three overall player in California. So coming out of high school, he was already a really highly touted prospect. Uh, He's a big guy, as most linemen are 6'5", weighing in around 300 pounds. Uh, He's 21 years old coming out, so he's a young player. He's got a lot of room to grow. Uh, this is something I thought was really impressive is he only allowed 12 pressures and 908 snaps in 2018. Uh, that's, that's also impressive with the fact that Hertz and, uh, Ty also both scramble a lot and like to kind of work in the pocket. And so only allowing 12 pressures is a pretty nice stat for him. Exactly. And that was one of 
when I was going through some of the pro football focus uh, statistics, looking at some of the other offensive tackles, a lot of them were kind of right in that area, but he had the most snaps and I think only one or two more pressures than the other next lowest guy. Uh, so that was a really good ratio, and I that's one thing that really jumped out to me. Um, another thing that jumped out by Pro Football Focus is they had their grade as far as pass blocking at an 88.6 and his run blocking grade as a 83.6, which were pretty much the highest among all the others. Uh, there was one prospect, I don't remember which one exactly it was, I didn't write it down, but he was like a 90-something, 92, I think, for a passing, but his run blocking was only like a 72. So his was the more consistently high grade. More balanced, yeah. And I am definitely a big fan of uh, Pro Football Focus. I love how they do their advanced analytics, and they were the ones who were trying to tell everybody Baker Mayfield is going to be the real deal, and... Luckily, John Dorsey listened because he absolutely was. So I put a lot of stock in what they have to say. That's why when I went to their website and I was kind of looking out a couple of these draft prospects, Jonah Williams was definitely one that stood out. Um, Some things about his game. He's a very well-rounded player. He's got a very high IQ being a three-year starter. He's got really good balance, good technique. And he's he's a, he's a really powerful man. He they they said he would handle double teams very very well, and obviously that shows because you know he you know they're gonna bring it at him whenever they're rushing at the the quarterbacks at Alabama and only allowing twelve pressures kind of as a reflection of that. Now some of the negatives with him, some things people are worried about is he's not he doesn't have the length you'd like from. Uh, NFL left tackle and some people mentioned he might be somebody who is in talks for moving inside to like a guard position and we definitely don't want to repeat the Corbett situation now when you say length you're speaking of arm length yeah his arm length 6'5 is is pretty decent for a left tackle there a lot of them are like 6'6 6'7 that's like the ideal prototypical kind of deal. 6-5 is good. You you want to stay over 6-5 and over. Like 6-4 and under, that's kind of where you got the the range for the guards and centers. But yeah, so he doesn't have really long arms. That's pretty much the only real worry about him coming out and playing the tackle at the NFL level. But overall, he seems like a very very well-rounded offensive tackle. And a good prospect that I think the Browns should definitely give a good look at. And if he's still available, because he could be somebody who goes a little bit earlier in the draft. Um, but I would really like to see them pick him if he's available at 17. As long as Dorsey is comfortable with him being a tackle, I, I would agree. I do worry about him having to transition into uh, the guard however mm-hmm. especially not only do we have two guys who should have been in the pro bowl to begin with at the original voting but we also have corbett uh back there and even if uh corbett takes over at center I, do we keep treader as that kind of backup interior lineman you know i don't know so 
If Williams is a tackle, I definitely say he's worth a shot and take a look. But if he's a guard, I definitely stay away from him. Absolutely. So now we're going to talk a little bit about some free agents. Uh, instead of highlighting one specific person, we're going to go ahead and take the group of positions for the Browns, talk a little bit about their room, uh, kind of give them a little bit of a grade and who would make sense free agency-wise that we could bring in, whether it's a starter, depth, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first room, the most important position on the field, we're going to talk about the quarterback room. Now, on the roster as of right now, we have Baker Mayfield and Drew Stanton. Tyrod Taylor is going to be a free agent this year unless they uh, throw the ta- uh, franchise tag on him, which there was a little bit of talk about that, but I don't think we're going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, 1 out of 10, I got the Browns as a 9 as an uh, overall quarterback room. I mean, ba- we all know Baker's the real deal. Yeah, Drew Stanton's definitely been very helpful with his development. Uh, I would like to really see them get a either a proven backup or mm-hmm. go ahead and look into the draft to find maybe somebody else to groom with Stanton yeah. uh, to make sure. Because, oh, let's be honest, if Baker goes down, no matter who's his backup, the season's pretty much over at that point. Yeah, I agree. And I agree with what you're saying is I don't know if you exactly want Drew Stanton to be that number two guy. He's a perfect number three. Exactly. So you want to have somebody kind of in that middle role, and that's just if they elect to have three quarterbacks on the roster. Because a lot of a lot of times, you know, in this league now, some teams just, or some teams just opt to uh, have two quarterbacks on the roster. Yep. So if they go that route, obviously they're kind of set with what they got. Because I like having Drew Stanton as that mentor for Baker. They have a good relationship. He's pretty if, much just a coach. Yeah. They they the. The trifecta between Kitchens, uh, Stanton, and Baker, that's something you don't want to mess with. If they do want to opt to have that third quarterback, that middle quarterback, who's the backup, playing backup pretty much, who if Baker goes down, that's going in. Definitely something like a uh, kind of what Tyrod Taylor was. Uh, but obviously he's probably not going to be sticking around. He's going to be moving on. So that kind of leads us into a couple of the free agent quarterbacks we're going to talk about. So who who do you have on that list? I think the the prime guy that I would really look into is Ryan Fitzpatrick. And okay. there's there's a few reasons why. I think the most obvious one is his connection with Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin really helped turn Fitzpatrick into Fitz Magic. He was a very big key component, just not even with him, but with Winston as well. I know uh, Winston had a lot of interceptions and turnovers and things like that, but yeah. I mean they were the number one passing team in the league last year, and Munkin was a big reason for that. Yeah, on Fitzpatrick, I I agree a lot, but he at at the same time he's kind of another Drew Stanton out there. He's he's at this point he's more of of the mental game like he he'd be that more mentor type because he's an older guy he can still play i mean he proved it last year but he also proved that at times he can be bad now the one thing i worry about with fitzpatrick and it's not anything you can really quantify but it's just something that happens and it seems it's that it seems every time he's brought into 
backup for a team since he, you know, lost his consistent starting job, you know, early, early in his career, and he kind of transitioned to that journeyman quarterback. Every time he's brought in to be a backup quarterback, something happens to the starter, and that's not something you should realistically have in your mind or be worried about going in because there's no logical way to look at it other than it just being coincidence. But I'm going to yeah. go ahead and look at it that way. And I don't want to put that bad juju on Baker Mayfield and risk something like that happening. Yeah, and you also have to look at the quarterbacks he was brought in to back up. I mean, last year it was Winston. Uh, mm. You know, he'd spend some time with the Jets. So I, I, it could just be circumstance. It could be coincidence. But uh, I, I think he'd be a, a nice guy. Like we said, if Baker goes down, the season's over pretty yeah. much at that point no matter who you have back there so i feel like fitzpatrick would definitely help baker kind of learn uh the munkin style of offense if they try and incorporate some of that with Kitchens's offense so uh yeah i think he'd be an ideal backup for us for and sure. well well here's another weird thing too and i watched a whole video on it and it was very interesting how consistent it was is when he is brought in to back up these teams and that quarterback goes down yeah when he comes in and that purely like interim role he lights it up. Like yeah. he is no no care in the world. He lights it up. But as soon as he gets some kind of commitment from the team, he just transitions into that completely mediocre quarterback, which is so baffling how he can go from looking so good whenever he's just feeling so loose and ready to let it fly and no care and then he gets a little bit of pressure like the team says, "Okay, we're going to put you know our balls in your court and let's go and then it's like i don't know if he gets nervous or what whatever starts second guessing some of the things he does but he he turns into a different quarterback well it's a good thing we have baker and he'll never get that you're taking over for baker nod so i don't think that's anything we'd have to worry about so uh next on the list i see you have matt castle yeah uh most known for Taking over for Tom Brady when Brady tore his ACL. Yeah. Uh, led the Patriots to 11 and 5. One of the very few years they haven't made the playoffs since Brady took over in 01. Mm-hmm. Uh, Castle also got a big payday from the Vikings. He was with the Tennessee Titans last year. Uh, I believe he would be a pretty good fit. He's, again, that type of guy who is not going to uh, take over by any means. He is a guy who. Uh, would be another kind of mentor type of guy. And I'm sorry, I'm going to correct myself here. He was with the, he was with the Titans last year. It looks like, um, I'm sorry. He was with the Titans like a few years ago. He was with Detroit last year. So want to walk back on that, but yeah, I mean, he, he's had some good years, uh, just as kind of like a fill in type of guy. Uh, he was with the Patriots, and then after he had that one big year, he got paid with the Kansas City Chiefs, bounced around a little bit, went to Minnesota, Buffalo, Dallas, Tennessee, and now he's a free agent after being in Detroit. Uh, you know, he, he's a backup. Yeah. Nothing, nothing crazy. Yeah, when I was doing my research on him, that's kind of what I noticed is I think it was probably at the end of his rookie contract when he did step in for Tom Brady that year. And he got himself a job, and he ended up going to Kansas City. And when he first got there, the first season wasn't great. He was mediocre. I think it was like 16 touchdown passes, 16 interceptions. 
His second year, he had a really good season. Led him to uh, ten and six or ten and five record. I believe he only played fifteen games. Mm-hmm. But after that, if if you take away those two seasons, he has had a very not so good career, and mm-hmm. it's been a long career. It's been you know he's just another one of those journeyman guys. That's that's kind of what you're getting when you're looking for a backup anyway. So he would be, you know, he he would do the job just fine. He would be probably really good in the locker room. Another good mind to bring in with Drew Stanton. Another good guy to have in Baker Mayfield's ear and helping him out along the way. Yeah, definitely. And coming up from that New England system definitely helps. Kind of sure, you know, being able to help out a younger quarterback. So yeah, definitely. Um, the last guy we have here on our list that is a potential backup would be Trevor Simeon. Uh, he's a little bit younger than the other two. He's only been in the league for a few years. Uh, mm-hmm. Started out with the Denver Broncos and then joined the Minnesota Vikings this past year as a backup. Uh, he's a guy. He's only he's only been in the league for I believe three years. He's twenty six, twenty seven years old. Never going to be a guy who. Uh, is going to be a starter or even threatened for a job, I think, again. Mm-hmm. But he's definitely that type of guy who could be uh, a career backup. Floats around the league, kind of like a Drew Stan. You know, he is always, he's been there for a while. He's kind of always been there. Just hangs around, becomes that mentor. Uh, he's a little bit smaller as well, which kind of plays into, you know, Baker's a little bit smaller, so yeah, having a guy have, kind of like that would definitely help. Could have some helpful yeah, definitely. insight for finding throw lanes. Uh, the one thing when I was looking at Simeon compared to the other two guys we talked about is I think he would be the closest thing to what Tyrod Taylor's role was here. He's more of the younger player who can come in. If you put a good team around him, he can go you know go five hundred. In a season, he can win some games. He's not going to win them all. He's not. He's not going to be the one winning the games, but he's going to keep the team alive, and he's not going to completely lose the games for either. So, if they do opt for that third quarterback role, I think he would actually be my favorite, just because I like the way we had it set up, where we had a younger backup number two kind of guy who can do that. Had some exp- had some experience. Playing. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, he so right now he's kind of past getting his real shot, I think, and now he's in that younger bridge backup quarterback at best kind of kind of guy who can you know do okay with the right system and a good team around him. Yeah, definitely, I can understand that. It's hit high, hit deep to left, down the line it goes, it is gone, off the facing of the upper deck. Roller on the right side, Kipnis diving toward his left, has it, gets up, throws, he got him! Oh, what a play by Kipnis! The 2-2, there he goes, pitch is high, throw by Golds, it's a beauty, they got him! Swung on, hit high, hit deep to left, away, back, goal! So let's talk a little bit about the Tribe. Uh, This past week or so, there's been a few additions and a few losses, so I'm going to quickly go through the additions to the roster. Uh, We made a trade for pitcher Nick Whitgren. 
Uh, he's been mostly in the minors throughout his career, but last year he pitched in a pretty decent amount of innings, had a 2.93 ERA. Uh, he might be a potential guy that comes in and uh, wins one of those last couple spots in the bullpen, mm-hmm. which we definitely need help there. Uh, we also brought in Dianier Navarro and Ryan Flattery to uh, some spring training invites. Okay. Uh, I can see, I, I don't think either one of them are going to make the team, honestly. I think they're just going to be camp bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flattery is a third baseman and Navarro is a catcher. We pretty much have those spots set, I think. Uh, catcher, obviously not as much, but between Perez and Haas and Polowiecki that they brought in, Navarro is just going to be a camp guy. Uh, and then we also brought in outfielder Matt Joyce. Uh, he had a pretty bad year last year, but the year or two prior to that, he was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, does very well against lefties. However, with you can only keep so many outfielders to platoon and whatnot, so... It would be tough to see me seeing Joyce make the roster, but with the lack of experience in the outfield, Joyce might be a guy who's been around for a while who might end up being uh, somebody they latch on to. Some, and he could just be somebody we kind of keep around in case, you know, injury, some sure. situation like that kind of calls for us to bring up somebody like that who can add, you know, a little bit of depth. Well, I mean, look at Mike Napoli, you know, an older guy who we kept in the minors. I think that was just in case we needed a, a injury replacement or whatnot. And so, yeah, the Joyce could end up filling that role for sure. Yeah. So we brought some people in, but we also lost a couple more names from the roster. We, Josh Tomlin, uh, ended up leaving. Yeah, he signed uh, also, with the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah. Yep. Uh Outfielder Brandon Geyer is gone as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, pitcher uh, Jordan Milbreath. Yep. I he was in the trade with uh, for Wickren. So is he a prospect? Uh, one of the like double A, triple A guys. Yeah, he was an older prospect. I believe he was twenty seven or so. Twenty eight. Okay. He was a little bit older. Uh, more of a change of scenery type of trade, I think, for both of them. Mm-hmm. Wickren has obviously experience in the majors compared to Milbreath, but uh it was more of a change of scenery type of deal for okay. that trade yeah with with uh tomlin and geyer it's not too soul crushing uh josh tomlin he's he's a nice nice guy it was, it was cool when you know he had his shot and i think it was he had that game in the playoffs i believe it was like his dad was like real sick but was able to make it to the game yeah that was, it was a good moment. It, it was a real cool story and so he got, he gained a lot of favor with the fans due to things like that he he seemed like a good guy he pitched well that series too oh yeah he he definitely did he had his moments but he wasn't really a consistent guy so uh he was he was always at the the bottom of our starting pitchers Love, rotation. love to give up home runs. That that was his favorite thing. To yeah, do. yeah, absolutely. Uh, Geyer, he was love to get he, hit by pitches. Yeah, <laughs> he he he's not going to be too missed either. He's a good. He's, he's a solid outfielder. He's another you know a guy you kind of rotate in that outfield whenever you you know you need him batting against. He he was real good against left handed pitchers. Yeah, so. He was a good kind of role guy, but he's not anything special. Uh, we want also wanted to talk about 
Francisco Lindor a little bit. If you haven't heard, he is out with strained right calf. That's right. Thank you. Yep. Um, he's going to be out, they said, seven to nine weeks to let him rest up and get that healed. I'm I'm a little bit worried, but I think they will do a good job. It's so early on, you know, it's it's not necessarily going to, that seven to nine weeks time frame isn't going to dig too deep into the beginning of the season, if at all. So I think they can be very cautious with this, and hopefully they give it more than enough time. They need to be very, very careful. Uh, if Lonnie Chisholm proved one thing in Cleveland, it's that calf injuries can linger, and calf injuries can really uh, put you out for longer than you should have been. So I really hope they take their time with Lindor. I really hope they don't rush him back. I know he's the type of guy who loves baseball and will be oh, itching yeah. to get back. Uh Obviously, we do need him back because, as of right now, Jose Ramirez is the only guy worth a damn on the offense. Yeah. I mean, you know, Carlos Santana is a feel-good story coming back into Cleveland, but he's not a very big offensive weapon. So, I uh, wish Frankie well. Hopefully, he comes back healthy and not too quick, and he can regain his all-star, all-star form. Absolutely. So, uh, moving forward, we're going to talk about another off-season addition that we brought in. Uh, I'm going to cover Jordan Leplo. He is a corner outfielder. He plays uh, mostly right field, but plays also left and center field. He's only 25 years old. Uh, he was a 2014 third-rounder. He bats and throws right-handed, and he's 6'1", 195. So, he's about the same size as Jake Bowers from our first episode. And this is somebody you think who can really contend for a spot on the team this year? Well, possibly. I, I think a big reason <clears throat> that he can contend is there are a lot of inexperienced guys on the team that yeah. will possibly have to, you know, be a player for us. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I view him as a platoon starter or a fourth outfielder, sure. especially versus left-handed pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things I think really attracted the Tribe to Leplo, just like Bowers, is we have him under control for quite a while. We have him at least for five more years. He could be a free agent at the start of the 2024 season. So okay. he, we have him for quite a while, and they really like having those younger guys with a lot of uh, years on their contract for a low amount. Sure. Uh, he, he was a good hitter in the minor leagues, but he really struggled in the majors. I don't know if that was a mental thing or if he just was not quite ready yet mm-hmm. for the majors. Uh, one thing that really caught my eye is he had 190 uh, appearances at the plate, and he only had a one, uh, 194 average. But out of that 194 average, 42% of his hits were for extra bases, which is a pretty mm-hmm. high percentage. Right. So... I, he doesn't have much power in terms of home run capability, but a lot of doubles and triples. Okay. Um, and then, you know, in the outfield, he's a decent outfielder. He has above average arm strength, though. So uh, that makes him a pretty nice possibility at being right field, especially since we don't really have an established starter almost at all. I, I guess Leonis Martin is going to be the center fielder for sure, but other than that, it's pretty much wide open. Yeah, it definitely seems like our outfield is kind of a very situational 
thing oh, right yeah. now. It's it's gonna be like you said, a lot of a lot of platooning guys who fit kind of what's going on and game to, you know from game to game and depending yeah. on the situation. Yeah, and as much as I'm down on the Indians, I'm very very curious to see what Tito does with the lineups. He's got a lot of young guys who don't have a lot of experience. He has a couple guys that he knows, obviously, between Lindor, Ramirez, Santana, uh, Perez. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. I, I'm, you know, Tito's a great manager, so I, I don't want to say I will ever doubt him. But it'll be, it's going to be really interesting to see how he ends up going with this lineup and what he can kind of shake up and uh, lead us to another Central Division win. I almost have as much faith in Tito as I do John Dorsey. A segment we didn't get to do in our first episode, but we really want to talk about is get into our Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, we're both big Buckeye fans. So the first thing we're going to talk about is National Signing Day was last week. Yep. And the Bucks got 17 total commits. 247 Sports has this class ranked as the 14th best group of incoming prospects. Three five-star prospects coming in. Uh, nine four-star prospects, and five three-star prospects. So definitely a lot of talent coming in this year. Um, it's going to be an exciting year. What we're going to do is we're each going to pick one you know, one of our favorite prospects, kind of break them down. It's going to be one of the three five-star prospects, and we're not really going to get into the others, but let's get it going. Yeah, and one thing I just wanted to comment real quick. Uh, although we're ranked the 14th overall class, a lot of that has to do with the fact that we only signed 17 recruits. Sure. Uh, you know, usually guys uh, coming in, we have a lot of guys in the four-star, five-star range, which is accurate again this year. It's just the total number. A lot, okay. of, a lot of years we'll take it into the 20s and even almost close to the 30 number. So having 17 is a pretty low number. However the quality is still there just not the quantity as so much that was as... just kind of a swayed number a little bit because that's, bit, yeah. that's why it was like surprising to me is because ohio state's one of the biggest schools and they always have really great recru- recruiting classes yeah. so yep. that definitely makes a lot of sense yeah and we have a lot of returning talent this year coming in as well or coming back to us so um that definitely helps as well with the lack of total number of recruits sure uh, so the guy I, just, I wanted to touch on real quick here is zach harrison uh, for those of you who don't know, Zach Harrison is a six foot five, two hundred forty three pound weak side defensive end. He is from Lewis Center, Ohio. Um, Harrison is a, a monster, to put it. Oh yeah, to put it nicely. Uh, he was also recruited by Penn State, Michigan, and Alabama. He was the twelfth uh, overall prospect from this class. And he was the highest rated for Ohio State. Uh, he is freakishly fast. There was a testing that was done back in July of 2018 where he ran a 4.4740, which is wide receiver speed. 
They say his feet and the way he moves, he could play wide receiver. And being 6'5", 243 pounds is unbelievable comparative. Yeah, that's definitely freaking nature level. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, his pursuit, his athleticism, his frame is unbelievable. He'll probably end up, by the time he leaves Ohio State, he'll probably be 275, 280, somewhere around that range. And he'll still be able to keep a lot of his athleticism. Um, One of the things I know he struggles with a little bit is the instincts and uh, he's very raw as a pass rusher. He still needs to kind of learn how to use his hands and uh, develop his pass rushing instincts. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't totally dominate with his physical traits how he can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, I mean, he has number one overall pick potential. He's going to be in another great line of Ohio State pass rushers Yeah, between Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, probably Chase Young after that. Uh, I, I, Harrison's probably not only my favorite prospect from this class, but he's also going to be the best recruit as well as the most impactful. Yeah, and if if he's a guy who can come in and pick up a couple of techniques, um, which is what you do when you get to the college level, you just you learn how to do more. And so you take that raw talent, and if he can put a little additional skill to that and develop a couple extra techniques. He could definitely, it sounds like he could definitely be a very, very scary, scary guy coming at you. Yeah. And he needs to add some weight for sure. Get up Mm -hmm. to 275, keep your athleticism and he's going to, he's going to be a force of nature for sure. Absolutely. Um, the guy I wanted to get into is a wide receiver. They're bringing in his name is Garrett Wilson. He is ranked the number two wide receiver in the nation, uh, number tw- number twenty nine overall player, and the number fifth overall player ranked in Texas. He is a, a pretty average sized wide receiver. He's five foot eleven, uh, one hundred ninety five pounds. He's so he's he's really just a good average size. He does kind of have a thick build though, so that will help him out. Um, he's not really a burner and like I said, he's not real tall, but he does have, you know, really good athleticism. And like I said, that thick frame, it'll be very beneficial for him. He's got really good ball skills. He's a good route runner. He's really just a a really well-rounded prospect. He's not the really tall guy who's going to go up over people and make catches. He's not one of the small, but really fast guys. He's just... He's very well-rounded, but that could also be something that you know ends up being his downfall is he doesn't really have a defined role. He's just kind of so all around, but he can you can move him anywhere. He can you know play out more of an outside receiver. He can come in and play the slot. Um, I think he's going to come in and make an immediate impact whenever he gets his chance to play. I don't know if he he's probably not going to play as a true freshman, but even if he did have that opportunity, I think. He's somebody who, at least at the college level, could come in and play really well. I mean, from what I read, they he makes some really eye-popping catches and look can, him up on is YouTube. a real playmaker. Yeah. So. Look him up on YouTube if you guys get a chance. Some of his catches he makes are unbelievable. Yeah, so that that's a really, really good guy to bring in. I think the Ohio State receiving core hasn't been that great the last couple of years. They've had a couple of good players, but... Nobody who really stands out, and this could be somebody who kind of comes in and is that standout receiver for the team. Somebody, you know, the quarterback can kind of trust and lean on, and they could have a 
a real threat there. Leading into the next topic is the quarterback that will be throwing to Garrett Wilson, and that is the newly approved to play Justin Fields. He he's just a freak. He's gonna be so good for the Buckeyes. It was a really good transfer pickup. I was I'll admit I was kind of excited to see Tate Martell come in and play. Um, now he's going to the, the University of Miami, and I think he's going to do really good there. But we got Justin Fields. He's going to be an absolute monster, in my opinion. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, he's he's a dual-threat guy. Uh, he makes a great impact with his legs just as much as his arm. Uh, he was the number two pros- or, uh, recruit coming out of his class. He was the second quarterback as well. Just a great quarterback prospect. He... Seems like a really good guy. He's got good size. Mm-hmm. He's got a great arm. He's going to be able to spread the ball around a lot, just like Haskins was. And I, I think, you know, to the point you're saying we don't have a standout receiver, I think that's because, you know, we spread the ball out so much. And we have so many different weapons. Yeah. You're never going to have that one guy that needs to be targeted, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. I think having too many weapons is much better than not having enough weapons. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as for Tate Martell, I did like Tate. However, I'm not surprised that he did leave. I mean, Fields is one of the best prospects to come out almost ever. So, that being said, good luck to Tate down at the U. Uh, thanks for everything you did for us, but this is Justin's Justin Fields' uh, team for at least the next two years here. And I'm really excited to see what Ryan Day and him can put together. Yeah, it's real exciting because... As soon as you hear dual threat quarterback, it, it, it triggers in every brain, everybody's brain, like, oh, he, this he's not gonna, so he's not going to be able to throw. But this guy can really throw the ball. He it's it's like he's going to have the arm of Dwayne Haskins and the legs of JT Barrett before he like messed up his knee. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to combine those two players into one. He's got good size. He's got really everything you look for in a quarterback. And when he comes out in a couple years into the draft. As long as he he plays like he's expected to, he's going to be one hot commodity for sure. Yeah, and uh, you know one thing the Buckeyes really missed last year was the running threat at quarterback. Haskins is a faster, bigger guy, but he didn't show his legs, and he doesn't like to show his legs, which is what a quarterback should be doing, preparing for the pro. So I think. J.K. Dobbins being the lead back as well now that Weber's off to the NFL. I think that's going to be really helpful for Dobbins as well as it'll help Fields with a running back like Dobbins in the background. That that reminds me, how dare you? Dwayne Haskins is probably the greatest running quarterback of all time. That's all he can do. He's yeah. a, According he's to a, uh, our favorite ESPN personality Stephen A. Smith yeah Haskins is more of a runner than a throw that was that was an unbelievable take wasn't yeah. it yeah yeah if you're in a hole obviously I'm kidding Stephen A. Smith made ridiculous comments saying Dwayne Haskins is a running quarterback when he had what 108 rushing yards yeah and four was, touchdowns yeah. so probably a couple of those just being sneaks 
what a bad take, and I wouldn't forgive myself if we didn't get through this Buckeye section without mentioning that. That man gets paid for football takes like that. That is unbelievable. Yeah, that's that's awful. Alright, it's time to get into our games of the week. We're just going to preview some of the biggest games we got coming up throughout the week. Uh, so first we have the Blazers and Thunder Monday. On Tuesday we have the Celtics and 76ers. And then we have the Jazz and the Warriors. New York Sixers going up against the Celtics I think is going to be a really good matchup. I really like that Tobias Harris fit there, so that's definitely something I want to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I think the Jazz, they're they're a really talented young team. Mm-hmm. And Donovan Mitchell and Spider. Spider Mitchell, Crybaby Gobert. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, I I like Gobert. Um I I'm not I'm not gonna hate on him for that. He's it's it's okay to show emotion. Like I totally get it. He I think is somebody who should have been considered for the all star game. But I digress. Uh, so you got that young team taking on the Warriors. Almost anything with the Warriors can really be uh, a t- one of the top games to watch just because they're so damn interesting. Watch, yeah. Just watching people chuck up threes and swish them like, all day long. Yeah. Looking forward to the UFC coming up here on Sunday the 17th on ESPN. It's going to be Francis Ngannou uh, versus a returning Cain Velasquez. One of the fights that is not on the main card, but one to definitely look into is Benito Lopez versus Manny Bermudez. I actually saw Lopez fight uh, a few years ago uh, in Bellator in uh, Reno, Nevada, and he really impressed me. He was a young kid at that point, only had a couple... I'm sorry, that was his professional debut that night. And he's really climbed and clawed his way up to being one of the hotter prospects in the UFC. He's definitely a guy to watch out for. Uh, The co-main event, we have James Vick, who's coming off a knockout loss versus Justin Gaethje. Uh, He's going to take on Paul Felder, who in his last bout lost a split decision to Mike Perry. Uh, I have Paul Felder winning that in decision. And then the main event, Francis Ngannou, who's coming off a TKO win versus Curtis Blades, is battling the returning Cain Velasquez, who's on a two and a half year layoff. Uh, his last one was against Travis Brown by way of TKO. Uh, Velasquez is considered one of the best of all time. However, I think he that two and a half year layoff is going to be rough. I don't know how his back is doing. We won't know until that fight. But I think I'm going to have Ngannou knocking him out actually in the first round. Yeah, I don't really have much opinion. I don't really keep an eye on UFC as much sure, yeah. these days. Um, I used to actually watch it a lot when I was when I was younger. I, I like some of the like the classic guys. Oh yeah, when you had Iceman and you had uh, Anderson Silva in his prime. And speaking of guy, Silva, he's fighting tonight. Actually, we're we're uh, watching the prelims right now while mm-hmm. recording the podcast. So. Uh, I have Adesanya winning by knockout as well, just for that quick uh, prediction there. Yeah, and not that it's a prediction, but I'm at least hoping Silva wins because it, it, would, it would be nice to see him come back and into some glory because he's definitely one of the greats. Sure, yeah, so oh, definitely. Yep. It, it, it would be it would be great to see that, but whether it's likely or not, you know, 
that's that's the cut. That's the cut. Oh my god! Uh, oh my god! Oh fire! Oh my goodness! Oh my god! Okay, it's happening. Everybody, stay calm. What's the procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay calm. Wait, 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 wait. All right, it's that time. We're nearing the end of the show, but before we go, it's time for us to give our hot takes. Mine is a very specific one. I'm going to say that Nick Foles signs with the Jacksonville Jaguars and takes them on a deep playoff run. I'm not going to commit, but another possible Super Bowl. Wow, that is a scorching hot take. When you say a deep run, how deep are we talking here? Conference championship. At minimum. At minimum. Now are we saying that's the first year he's with the Jaguars or just in a part of his contract? Year one. He's hot. He's staying hot. Wow. Year one. Wow. And then he's going to, and then, and then after that, he's going to ride off into the night and start slowly sucking. Okay. Wow. That is a definite hot take for sure. Uh, My hot take is going to be a basketball hot take again. Colin Sexton, as we all know, has been uh, struggling this year as the starter. He's a younger guy. Uh, I think I'm going to predict that Colin Sexton will win the sixth man of the year at some point in his career. What? No. (laughs) I could see it. I could see it. Yeah. And kind of piggybacking on my hot take from last week i think job moran's the best prospect in the draft coming up this year if we were able to take him slide sexton to the bench i think that'd be a a great great spot for him he's able like the last few games he's been putting up points in the 20s 27 points uh last couple games i think his shot is definitely starting to come around from the three point i think uh he adds a little bit of weight he could definitely guard a one or two He's just going to be a stay aggressive as the young bull type of guy. Uh, and, yeah, he's not near his potential. Hopefully he reaches it. And if so, I could see him having uh, kind of like a Lou Williams impact almost. Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of wondering, once we kind of got midway through the season and we started seeing what kind of player Colin Sexton is in the NBA, coming out I thought he was supposed to be like a really good defender, and maybe not as consistent offensively. You know, he was that aggressive, good drive through the lane, kind of kind of guard, and somebody who's going to be really aggressive and be able to lock down some guys on defense. And definitely have not seen that. Um, that's something he can work on, improve, and grow at. But I was, that was one thing I was kind of shocked to not see. He's young. Let him develop. Let mm-hmm. him get some experience. I think. Although losing sucks, this is a great situation for him to be in. Uh, I, I think once he hits his potential, we could see a, see a guy who he might not start on a championship team, but he could have a role on a championship team, and that's where I think the six man hopefully comes in for us. Yeah, so you heard it here first. Nick Foles taking the Jaguars to the conference championships, possibly the Super Bowl, and Colin Sexton winning sixth man of the year sometime in the near near future, mm-hmm. or just. Or we eh, talk, sometime we talking in his like, career. Sometime in his like career. 35-year-old Colin Sexton? No. Um, Possibly. I don't know. Possibly. All right.
that's going to do it for this episode. We went a little longer than usual, so thank you for hanging in there and listening. As always, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages. Click follow and like so you can stay updated with the show and also catch some of the contests and giveaways we have going on. The more we grow, the more we'll give away, so spread the word. We're on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time.